Okay, you're planning the trip. You've decided now that you want to make the most of it. So how do you decide what you'll spend your time seeing and what you're going to leave off the list? And do you make a mad rush to get to everywhere that you're going to visit? Or do you choose to see less and spend more time at certain locations? We prefer to look at travel as an opportunity to experience. So we've put together this episode for sharing our top seven experiences in Paris so that when you're planning your own trip to Paris, you can choose for yourself. Because as we found out, even if you're there for an entire month, you still don't get to see and do everything. Let's get your adventure started. It's the Family Passport Podcast. Join the Barlow family as they travel to Portugal and Paris in this season of FPP. Let us show you how to get your travel on with kids. Hey, this is the final episode of our season in Paris, and we wanted to be able to share our top experiences that we had so that next time you're in Paris with your family, you can make some forever memories too. I'm using air quotes. This this list isn't just about locations and things to do, though. This is actually the overall best experiences. These are these are some of the things that for us made the trip worth it and worthwhile. And we wanted to be able to share these with you so that you can choose which ones will fit your family and what you want to do. How does that sound, Alyssa? I think so. Okay. Uh, they're not in any particular order. These are just our top experiences that we enjoyed the most and feel like we got the most out of as a family. So what we'd love to do is be able to take you through each one and share a little bit about why this was such a great experience. But more importantly than that, how you can, if you choose, be able to go through and turn it into exactly that and a worthwhile, uh, forever, uh, I don't know if I'd say life-changing, life-changing is, yeah, in some ways life-changing. Oh, yeah. Listen tight for... Uh, one life-changing croissant. Hang tight for that. We'll come back. But yeah, I think in some cases, in some ways, life-changing. But number number one, drum roll please here. This is this is actually something that many people, I think, want to visit and have on their list when they go to Paris. But maybe not necessarily for the same reasons that we do. I don't know. What would you say? Uh, it definitely was on our list from the very beginning, uh, and we knew that somehow we had to make it one of the most meaningful experiences that the kids saw there um, because we didn't want it to be just one of the places we visited and can say we visited but didn't really get anything out of. So we went we went well above and beyond. This was actually, we've spent a fair amount of hours trying to figure out how do we make this experience really meaningful? Because just like you said, we didn't want to go to this place, this location and not have it be worthwhile. 
especially when we had so many people over and over again tell us that this is this is one of their favorite things that they visited when they were in Paris. And in fact, some people had even gone multiple times, right? Yeah. We also did, however, get some people that said, oh, but taking your kids there oh, I don't might know. not make that much sense. Or maybe that's not the best place to take your kids when you're in Paris. There might be other stuff that would be better for you to do. So we were up to the challenge and we thought, okay, if we're going to, if we're going to go here and we're going to take the time, we're going to spend the money, we're going to spend an entire day. How do we make this really, really great? So we'll tell you about that in just a minute. But what was that place? The Louvre. The Louvre. Yeah. And the Louvre is, oh my goodness, it's got so many treasures, so much history, all under one massive building. And it's not just the 38,000 artifacts at the Louvre spread over 72,000 square meters. It's even the buildings itself that make it such a cool experience. Everything about it from even before you walk into it has history. It has a story. And it's also intentional. I, prior to going there, knew it was a really cool museum that housed a really lot lot of really cool art pieces, but I did not realize there was so much history behind the building itself. Yeah. Yeah. So the museum is actually housed inside the Louvre Palace. And this was originally built way back when as a fortress in the late 12th century under Philip II. And what's kind of cool is if you go nowhere to look and if you know where to go, there are remnants of the old buildings, even the oldest buildings still in there. And actually we went into the the basement and if you do the same thing, you can actually go through and you can see the original foundation stones. And this is really, really interesting, right to the point where you can see the marks that were carved into them by the original, uh, the original stonemasons that when they were, when they finished and they hauled their load, they, in order to get paid, had to be able to have some way to identify how they were going to get paid for which stones. So they would actually use different marks. So they had, what did they have on there? Hearts. And Hearts, they had, crosses, X's, squares. Yeah. And it just. An arrow shape. I think yeah. An arrow, arrow shape. shape. Creative arrow shape. <laughs> <laughs> and it, but it blew my mind to think that, you know, somebody way back when, as they were creating these stones and then shaping them and then pulling them out and hauling them and doing all the things that needed to happen in order to be able to build that section of the old fortress, they made those, they made those, you know, nearly, nearly, geez, nearly a thousand years ago. Yeah. Over 900 years ago. And you may be thinking to yourself, how on earth did you ever find this in a museum with 38,000 artifacts and (laughs) 72,000 square meters of building to explore? Which leads us to the experience part of the Louvre, which is what made it so meaningful. Yes, there are really amazing treasures there. There There's so many things to look at. The Mona Lisa, to name one of them, which you can get a good view of if you know what you're doing. And um, so that leads us to how we got our amazing experience at the Louvre. Yeah. And here's the thing. I love history and I love the stories, but I'm not a historian. And as far as I know, you're not a historian I either, not right? not a historian, yes. Not a historian, as it turns out. <laughs> Past teacher, not a history teacher, not anything close to a historian, but we we wanted to be able to appreciate that and we knew that if we just went in there especially with the kids like tugging on our our legs and everything then it was just going to be a museum and we didn't want it to just be a museum 
So in order to create that experience, we we spent quite a bit of time looking to find, hey, who would be able to provide us a tour that had that type of knowledge, had that type of uh, historical knowledge, and even the stories behind it. And we did find one. We found it with a with a tour company called the Muse Tours. And there were there were other tour options out there that were also family friendly and kid yeah. friendly. But we took one particular uh, one particular tour that they called the Muse Paris. Muse Clues Tour, and this was really interesting. Yeah, so the reason that we picked this one, um, particularly over other family-friendly tours, was because it was a tour detective guide through the Louvre. So, um, and it didn't explain it all in the sample, but then after being there, it totally made sense to us. The kids got to be detectives and really they led us through the Louvre, which was even more amazing because it was them showing us the artwork that they were finding and these amazing artifacts that they were finding versus a tour guide leading us around, telling us what all this stuff was for us to go home at the end of the day and sit in overwhelm at everything that we just saw. (laughs) Uh, Because it can be very overwhelming and there was a ton of people there. I don't think that you can probably go to the Louvre when there is not a ton of people there. So do be prepared for that if you take your children in there. There is a ton of people there. Um, But it was nice to have the kids guide us through it because then they were excited about what they were telling us and the things that they were finding in the paintings and the paintings they were finding and the sculptures they were finding, which is part of what led to that experience of it being so memorable for us as a family. Oh yeah. Possibly even cooler thing was, you know, this started from the very beginning. Like even before we before we even yeah, entered, before the, building, we even entered the building. We met yeah. her outside in the in the Arctic Carousel. Uh-huh. Right outside it's it's maybe, I don't know, the equivalent of like three blocks away for all intents and purposes. Maybe not even that yeah. far away. But you can you can see the Louvre, you can see the the pyramid and it, we we started by you know her getting to know our kids and our tour guide was incredibly friendly incredibly knowledgeable she got to know our kids and then started immediately sharing the stories you know with the pyramid we started with the pyramid mm-hmm. and she asked the kids hey what is that what shape is it what do you think it is why do you think it's there and all kinds of really great questions which made the kids of course immediately curious right why is that pyramid in the middle of all of these yeah, very old buildings. And it continued too. But here's here's one of the reasons why this turned into an experience uh, immediately after we met her. After asking all of the kids a number of questions, getting to know them, and beginning to lead us through the story of the Louvre, she walked us right around the pyramid, past about 800-ish people. I was trying to keep a rough count because we started walking <laughs> walking past all of these these people and keep in mind that this wasn't just this wasn't just people that were um you know in line for the Louvre. That was a whole separate line way out in front. I don't know how many people were in that one, but this to was get tickets. People yeah. trying to get tickets to get in. <laughs> this was the tour guide special entrance who also had 800 plus people in there. She walked us all the way up for the front. She whispered to me at one point, like uh, she turns back to me. She's like, this doesn't work every time. <laughs> we'll see if it works this time. Walks us right up to the front. Clearly she had been here before and whispers something to the, to the guard and we get in. It takes us 60 seconds to walk past all of these people into the front door. And that's when we knew we got our money's worth right then and there yeah. before we'd actually experienced anything at all. 
Yeah, just the VIP entrance alone for those people who already had tickets, the line was cut in at least half. But then to bypass that entire line at the same time made it worthwhile to hire a private tour guide through a museum like that. Yeah, I think I turned to you right after we went through the entrance. and I don't remember what I said, but something to the equivalent of, yeah, thumbs up, money's worth yeah. already right here. Fantastic. And it only got better from there yeah. as the tour went on. So here's what happened. We get in there. And of course, we see all the crowds of people going one particular direction. And everybody's heading uh, heading towards some of the main well-known attractions. And she says, no, no, no. Let's start over here because nobody's in this section of the museum at this time of day. And it's what, I don't know, about 10 a.m. or something, right? Yeah, it was shortly after the museum opened. It was yeah. pretty early. Yeah. So she leads us over to the Greek sculpture garden. And that's where everything began. Yeah. And it was amazing. It was this beautiful trees growing. It really was a sculpture garden with sculptures in there. And there was no one <laughs> in the building. <laughs> that section of the museum, we just walked past everyone else and there was no one in that section of the museum. So she got to get down on the floor with the kids. She had us down on the floor with the kids. Um, and that's where their detective work started. So each child got their own detective book and their own pencil and it gave them clues and they had to read the clues. And then they guided us through the museum by following their clues with a bit of a carrot at the end that um, she told them that once they got to the end of the book, they would have to find a special surprise in a certain location in the museum. Uh, so that kept them going through all of the pages and through all of the artwork, working towards something that they knew was coming at the end. It would have continued to get better and better from there, too. I, I think if you would have asked me before we experienced this, I think I probably would have told you I wanted to see as much as possible in the Louvre. And now after going there, I completely disagree with that with that statement, with that initial thought because uh as I looked at all of these people trying to rush through and get to as much as they possibly can and see every single thing that they possibly can, uh, I now realize how much they missed out upon all of the really interesting stories. And now I think that this will probably influence you know, museums that we go into for the rest of our lives. Oh, for sure. But what ended up happening is she took a totally different approach. And she took us to not necessarily always the biggest, most most popular things, but certainly some of the most novel. For example, the very, very oldest piece in the entire museum. Most people don't even realize is there, right? Would you have known that it's there? Oh, absolutely not. And it's in this room full of other sculptures that don't really look like much of anything. And honestly, we watched tons of people walk by while she's explaining the story of this oldest piece of art it's in 9, the Louvre Museum. 9,000 years old. And nobody has a clue that it's even there. And we wouldn't have either. I mean, had we gone in with a different thought process in mind of trying to see those famous things that everyone knows are in the Louvre, we wouldn't have seen that. We would not have known it was there. So she proceeded to do that, take us from piece to piece to piece that really had just absolutely amazing stories behind each and every one. So it, we started out in the sculpture garden and she eventually led us through some of the Mesopotamian areas. And then we got into, so let's see, we were in the Athena room. 
Mm-hmm. And we made our way through um, some of the classic classic painting areas, which is in a totally different section of the museum. Yeah. And we ended up over nearby where the Mona Lisa was. Yes. And that's where it continued to get better and better. Because when we walked into the room with the Mona Lisa, it's it's this it is one of the most massive areas in the entire museum. Because so many people come to see the Mona Lisa. Like that is the, one of the main attractions when you go to the Louvre, right? For a very small painting on the For wall. A, a and very it is small much painting. smaller than what you <laughs> yes. would imagine it is on the wall. If you've not been there, you will be surprised <laughs> at how small it is and how large of a room is housing this yes. and how many people are there to see it. And how many guards room. are standing around it. <laughs> yes. Okay. So there's there's a ton of there's a ton of you know controversy over the years and really interesting pieces to the Mona Lisa story that has ultimately made it the most famous. It got stolen at two different points in time. It uh, it you know, at one point uh, before it used to be behind glass, there was somebody that continued to come to the museum and professed uh, love to to the Mona Lisa and eventually decided to throw acid on it when apparently the love was not returned and. Uh, yeah, you know, that's the reason why it's now behind glass today. So as we walked into this room, I'm looking at it going, I don't know if this is worth it. I don't know if like I don't want to wait in this massive line. It's not really so much a line as this, this no, it's a crowd massive of crowd. People that you're apparently supposed to wait until the people in the front move out and then one row moves forward and one row keeps moving forward. Yeah, it looks like you're going to a you concert. Eventually get to the front of the line. Yeah, it's like you expect to see people like crowd surfing their way back or something eventually, but I'm looking at this because I hate waiting in lines. I'm going, uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh, this ain't worth it. So she proceeds to say, hold on, hold on. Yeah. And she kind of steps around to the side and then leads us through this entire crowd and works all the way up to the front, right into the into the area that's on the side, and then works us into the very front of the line so that we could see the Mona Lisa. But didn't stop there either. And not only does she do that, so if you know much about the Mona Lisa, which I actually didn't know a lot about it before we went, but to see it in person, it really made sense to me how um, her eyes move or the, I don't even know what the right word, art term is for it. But so you have to look at it from two angles in order to actually see it. So not only did she lead us to the front on one side so that the kids could see the view from one side, then she proceeded to take us all the way around the room and do the same thing on the other side of the room so they could see how it appears that the picture moves without actually moving. So keep in mind, all this is happening in less than maybe seven minutes or so, seven to 10 minutes. Well, there's probably 300 other people in the room trying to get a picture and a view of the Mona Lisa. <laughs> At least. I, I took a picture of all the people in the room, and we can even put that up on the page so you can see just how many people happen to be in there. And apparently, this was a slow day. Right. <laughs> yeah. So the, just like a, you said, Alyssa, it's it's interesting because no matter where you move, it looks like she's looking at you. Yes. And she wanted she wanted the kids to be able to see that. So we went from one extreme side of the room to the completely other side. And it she was right. It looks like she's staring you down no matter where you go. 
Okay, so clearly we were enamored with the Louvre, and we are at this point huge fans of taking taking the extra time, the extra money, extra resources to be able to do it in a way that is much more memorable, and that's what we'd absolutely recommend to you too. And it might be a little bit different, but I think you have to figure out what's important for your family. And if something like that sounds great, then find a tour company that can that can provide that type of person that knows the stories, knows the way in, totally worth it if for no other reason just to be able to skip all the lines and make more of that quality time. Absolutely. Yeah. And so like we said, there were many different family tours out there. We just felt that that was the best one for our children for the ages that they are and their specific interests. Um, And it totally, it made the experience for us 100%. Um, And actually in the end, the kids did get a keepsake souvenir uh, book of Paris um, that had all the famous sites, including the Louvre in there uh, to keep and take home. And so that's actually something that we still pull out and look at and, oh, remember we did this and remember we went here and, and it actually was a, a, is a clue game also. So it really, it matched the, the whole thing, our tour. Yeah. 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 Okay. Number two experience, the second experience that we thought was a must have, it was, it was so good for us. Surprisingly, like I, I think we've, we both wanted to go there pretty badly. Oh, yeah. However, we didn't know that we were going to take three trips there. No. <laughs> I don't think that was in the cards. I don't think that was in the plan. However, this is something we felt was was a must-have. And, and we'll share a couple of different reasons why. But this is, this is actually one of the oldest buildings in Paris. And in fact, the center of Paris is measured out from... The what do you what do you call the the walkway? I don't know why it's escaping me, but the the area that's right in front of this building is it has the point zero point zero that everything is measured from all across Paris. And mind you, it took us till the third trip to actually find it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but it is there. I but promise. It's there. <laughs> okay, so what is that building? Notre Dame or Notre Dame? If yes, you're in Paris. <laughs> pick pick your preference. So this is super interesting. It construction actually began in 1163 and this was this was way back during the reign of Louis the 7th and opinion differs as to whether Sully or Pope Alexander the 3rd laid the foundation stone of the cathedral. However, both were at the ceremony. And this cathedral was essentially complete about 200-ish years later in 1345. The cathedral has a really interesting and highly, I would highly recommend this. It's got a pretty narrow climb of 387 steps to the top of several pretty spirally staircases. And it's well worth it. If you're capable of making the climb, it was well worth it. You can you can actually cut out some of the time and wait because uh, when you're going to the top like that, not only do you have just really amazing views, but there can be a pretty small pathway to get up there. So they only let so many people at a time, right? Yes. Which can make it a pretty long wait. It can be, yeah. If you go during peak hours. Yeah. So um, we were advised to go earlier in the morning, which as with most heavily trafficked tourist attractions. The earlier you get there, the less people there are. Um, And it also is advisable uh, if you're going to, if you're going to walk up the bell tower to do that first, to get in line for that, make sure you have your tickets for that 
first before you head into the cathedral itself uh, because you probably will. I mean, even it was a slow day when we were there. It was very cold. It was 32 degrees and trying to snow. And we still ended up standing in line for almost like 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah, I think. uh, It may have been closer to an hour. Yeah, it it was a significant amount of time um, and it was very cold and there were still a lot of people waiting in line. So if you're there in a higher traffic season time, the line's probably going to be even longer, but it's definitely worth it. The kids loved it. Um, Our youngest was, I guess he was seven. Yeah. At the time. Seven years old. Still seven. Still seven. Yeah. So, and he made it up the stairs fine. I mean, we had no issues with him getting up the staircase or. When you get to the top of these stairs though, one of the reasons it's really well worth it. And some people have seen pictures. If you've seen any, any famous pictures of Notre Dame, then you've probably heard of the gargoyles. So what I didn't realize is there's actually lots of different different statues. The most famous ones are the gargoyles, but they're actually designed not only to, you know, ward off evil spirits and things like that, but they also are downspouts for water runoff, which is pretty interesting in terms of how they worked out into the architecture. There's also chimeras, but these these statues way back when were originally colored and painted as was most of the exterior but when you go now the paint's worn off it's kind of this uh, this gray and now it looks much more castly I, I guess you would say in mm-hmm. some ways so the the uh, when you get to the top though you can actually take pictures of the, of the gargoyle so we got many yeah, different photos you get up photos pretty close to them you can kind of see some of them from the ground but once you get up to that top level um, where the bell tower is, you can, you're can you actually, I mean, nearly face-to-face with them. There's a net so that you can't fall off of it for safety purposes. But um, you get pretty close to them. And each gargoyle is actually shaped completely differently. They're different animals. They have different facial expressions. Some of them are scarier looking. Some of them actually look like they're smiling. Like, They've named them? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, was, it was very interesting. I... Did not. I had envisioned that each gargoyle looked exactly the same. They just used like a mold and put it up there. Not but, the case. Yeah, that was not the case. There were all different kinds of animals or combinations of animals. Rather, I don't think any of them were actually not uh, an animals animal you're going to find here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. So I think here's the question, though. Why did we go back three times? Oh, it was so the the whole area around the cathedral. Um, is just as with everywhere in Paris, there's so much history, but it was a really interesting, there was tons of little neighborhoods to walk through. You have the Seine river running right immediately next yeah, to, right next the, to cathedral. the cathedral. It's also a very well-known area for, um, authors. And so there's a lot of little bookshops and, um, some pretty famous authors and poets have been known to be in those areas or in those bookshops. Um, so that's kind of a fun thing to explore there. And then the cathedral itself is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it is, I don't know that we will ever see another church that can compare to what it looks like inside or outside, I think. Yeah, I would say so. There's there's one other church that was completely different that was also worth seeing, but for completely different reasons and did not, I would say, did not compare to the overall experience that we're talking about here. Now, another interesting thing too is 
if you happen to be there at the right time, once a month, they bring out the, the crown of thorns. And they do an entire ceremony around it. And this was this was rather amazing. So this is one of the times why we went back. So went and they essentially do a, a mass as they are bringing out the crown of thorns. Now, this in itself was a worthwhile experience and just kind of a really interesting story along with it too. It's not how I thought it would, it would be at all. So what happened? So mind you, uh, we are Catholic. And so we're fairly familiar with different ceremonies of the Catholic Church. Um, And so we knew there was some sort of veneration for the crown of thorns, which is usually just like you look at it or you go up and see it or receive a blessing of some sort. So we expected something like that. However, uh, you are in a really old place of worship and um, so we decided to stay for the crown of thorns. We wanted to see it. I mean, we were happened to be there on the first Friday of the month. You know, we, we had to take that opportunity with the kids. Oh yeah. Um, so we were there and they were going through the ceremony and of course none of it is in English. So we don't really know what's going on, but <laughs> we're going with the flow. And then um, the line starts to go up and see the crown of thorns, which is in a, it's in a glass case. And they're holding it up so that people can see it. Well, we're fairly far back in the line and we can't really see what the people in the front are doing. And we get up there and they wanted you to kiss the case that was around the crown of thorns, which Scott and I were like, okay, you know, that's, it's fine. But the kids had no (laughs) clue what to do and just kind of stood there dumbfounded, like what, looking at us, like, what are they trying to tell us to do? So they were clearly used to this though, and moving through large crowds of people in very quick manner. So this this case, by the way, is a it's a circular special made case that is maybe two inches in diameter. So and it wraps all the way around. So think like a, a glass ring that encases the the crown of thorns. And the the kids as they get up there didn't know what the heck they were supposed to do so they they shoved their faces into the crown of thorns, the glass <laughs> the glass uh, case around the crown of thorns and uh, you forced kiss it so that was a that was an interesting experience <laughs> not not at all what I expected that uh, you're going to you're going to kiss the crown of thorns whether you want to or not <laughs> yeah <laughs> so aside just from an interesting story though this was especially especially if you're Catholic, but even if you're not Catholic, all of the ceremony and pomp and circumstance that goes along with it. And it, knowing that it's dated back for many, many, many different years, because the crown of thorns was originally bought from, uh, bought by you know, King Louis and bought from Constantinople. And it, it has been housed in Paris since that point in time. We also went back another time too. Why, why did we go back a, another time? This might have been time number two. Well, we wanted to see the uh, point zero, and we had yet to see it <laughs> being there. And then I think we had also gone back because the prior times that we had been there, it was cloudy outside. Uh, I mentioned the one time we were there and went up the bell tower, it was 32 degrees and trying to snow. So I think we wanted to see, everyone talks about the stained glass in 
the cathedral. And so we wanted to see on a sunny day what it what the difference was um, because it is absolutely amazing to look at that stained glass even on a cloudy day. But we wanted to see what it looked like when the sun came through and we wanted to see the point zero. Um, an experience that we did not expect was, I, I'm pretty sure it was the last time that we went there. It, it was a sunny day. And so there was a lot more people outside and there was um, someone who was feeding the pigeons. Um, a, a very stereotypical, in my opinion, of a person who feeds the pigeons. I mean, they had them on their hat and their arms and their hands and they had the food everywhere. And so the kids were absolutely just enthralled with that and, of course, drawn immediately to that. And those people are trying to get money, and so they will give the kids food. And so the kids got pigeons on their heads and their arms and who knows where else (laughs) because they thought that that was the most amazing thing that they had ever seen. Um, So that was an unexpected experience in that area. But yeah, just overall, we just, the feel of the area around the cathedral, the cathedral itself was amazing. Um, And there's just a lot to do in that area. There's a lot of walking to do in that area. Oh yeah. So what is next on the list? So next on the list, this one's kind of a, a deviation from your typical tourist attraction in Paris. And this came to us by recommendation of another friend who had been there. And they said, oh, you have to go to this place and it's so worth it. And we're like, oh, okay, you know, if we make it over there, it was in a totally different area than we were staying or anything else that we were doing was in. And so then we looked it up on some other, um, Googled it and we went to TripAdvisor. Yeah. Oh, and and Trip we started Advisor yeah. reading reviews. We started reading reviews because we're like, well, should we really? I mean, this is like really kind of out of the way. We're not doing anything near this area. So let's read some reviews and see what they say. So we start going through these reviews and there are things like the best croissant in Paris. And, you know, we've seen stuff like that before. And we're like, okay, okay. So we keep going through more and more reviews and they're like, I have been back here three times this week. And then we go through more reviews and there was one in there. We get to the one where it's like, this is the croissant that changed my life. And we're like, <laughs> what? No way. And this had been recommended to us specifically for the croissants. And, you know, we're from the States. We're from Washington state in particular. And we're like, there's no way a croissant could change somebody's life. And even like, the kids were like, how does a croissant change your life? The croissant can't be that much different than any other croissant that we've had every day that we've been here. Oh, but it was. It was. Little did we know. <laughs> so that that one review, whoever wrote that review, <laughs> that one review changed it for us. We're like, oh, okay, we have to we have to try this place. It changed their lives. So we just have to see. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's a pretty small bakery, and it really is out in the middle of nowhere. This is called Ble Sucre. So B-L-E, Sucre, like sugar, S-U-C-R-E. And when you look it up, you'll you'll find that there's just not too many of the regular tourist attractions <laughs> or things that people want to see out there. There is a beautiful little park across the street that the kids absolutely loved. They played at multiple times because, of course, after we found the croissant that changed our lives, too, we had to go back. Yes. It we was went a back must. To two or three? Three. I don't know, but we changed our itinerary. We, we had <laughs> we had we had something totally different for that day, and we're like, but we could go back to Bliss Gray. And 
<laughs> and we made it happen. So here's a couple of things to know about this though. When you go, absolutely worth a visit, well worth going out of the way, and especially the chocolate croissants, you'll absolutely love them. They have many other things too, but the croissants far better than any place else that we had. And we had some, we yeah. got there, we started having all these croissants. We're like, these geez, they're so bad. We much love better. croissants. Like we love croissants. <laughs> and then we got here. And it was so much better. Yeah. The flakiness and the, it, it's a indescribable texture. Yeah. We've been trying to describe it. was the it, ultimate but- croissant ever. We've never, and nowhere else in Paris were the croissants like they were at Blaise Sucre. Just definitely. Don't know what the secret was, but definitely worthwhile. Uh, they don't have very much seating at all. No, no. Be prepared to take it either to the park or walk and eat it somewhere else or take it home or whatever you're doing. But yeah, there is not, I mean, I think they had one table inside and then a couple little tables outside, maybe in the um, spring and summer, maybe they put more stuff outside. We were there in the winter. So um, that might not, they might have more seating in different times of the year, but yeah. And you might be prepared to stand in line. Um, while it is kind of out of the way, it was clearly a hot spot for the locals. Uh, I don't think many of the people there were tourists, but there were definitely a lot of locals eating there. And so at those peak times, um, breakfast and lunch, cause we were there at both of those times, actually, it did get pretty busy. Um, but they always seem to have enough croissants. And actually, I think both times we lucked out and they had just come out of the oven when we got there. So I think we got them fresh both times. They might tell that to everybody. Maybe. I have no idea, uh, but we felt really lucky yes. and blessed to be there at that time. Yes. But this, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. This was this was not a tourist destination at all, but clearly a local secret. Yeah. And I think that, that for us was even more alluring in some ways. And it made it even better experience overall. Okay. So everything we tried, uh, in many different places were, uh, uh, amazing, but this one definitely took the cake or rather took the croissant (laughs) and by far the best that we had in Paris must, must go. Okay. What's next on the list here? This is, this is a very interesting area. And it's one area that I think is well known for some reasons and not for others, mm-hmm. but it contains not only the very highest point in Paris without going to the top of the Eiffel Tower that is, and it contains a big hill area that originally meant the Mount of Mars and was uh, later changed to the Mount of Martyrs. So what what is that area and what is it? The whole area is called Montmartre. And the uh, one experience that um, there were a lot of experiences that we had in this area. Actually, we, I think I only, the kids and I only went one day. Scott went to this area again for a a specific reason. We tried to go, but we had a near broken arm. Yeah, we had a a whole different story. Um, But there is a cathedral called Sacre-Cœur. Um, which means the Sacred Heart. Um, And so that was another church that we had wanted to go see there and had recommended by many people um, to go see. And the whole area over there actually turned out to be, I mean, Sacre-Cœur was beautiful, but the whole area turned out to be an experience for us, which I don't think that we really expected that to come out of it. 
So Paris is not a hilly area by any means. It's fairly flat as far as as far as cities go. However, this this area contains the one big set of hills that's up there. So Sacré-Cœur built right on top and in the in the midst of the Montmartre district and then uh, Montmartre, by the way, it it's famous or got its original fame because in the late 70s into the 80s and even into the 90s became increasingly well known for artists that took up residence there because it was at that point in time really cheap to live over there and it was it, it developed a community of of art and still to this day has retained some of that some of that art type community and charm. It also be prepared if you're taking kids over there. It's got a wide array of uh, things like sex shops and peep shows. So if you're going to head that direction, then you might have already you know want to have certain talks with your children or be prepared for some or very surprising clear questions. Of certain streets. It is the area where Moulin Rouge is, and so. Just be aware of that. If you're going to walk through that area, um, there's it's a little more liberal <laughs> in what you might see. Um, the reason that we went back twice, we went on a Sunday to go to Mass at Sacre-Cœur, and then we wanted to walk around and look at the art shops and see the paintings and potentially talk to some of the artists because the art shops in that area, it's like they sell their art in the front and their painting in the back. Um, and so we kind of wanted to be able to go in and see some of the art and talk to the artists. And unfortunately, we didn't realize that they would all be closed on a Sunday. Um, so most of the shops on the streets that we walked down were closed on the Sunday that we were there, which is why we chose to go back a second day. Um, and Scott got to explore a little more on the second day. However, the kids and I... <laughs> <laughs> did not make it very far that day. See, we mentioned on an earlier episode that we had this mission where the kids wanted to see, and we wanted to as well, see as many parks as we possibly could in Paris. So there's one in particular that they absolutely loved, and it, they have lots of climbing things in the, in the parks in Paris. And our daughter, who's our oldest, proceeded to climb and fall off and... Uh, that was an incident. She didn't actually break her arm, but she, <laughs> she felt like it was, it, was broken. it was broken to the <laughs> point where maybe going to have to amputate, but <laughs> turns out everything's fine. But Alyssa did head back to the head back to the flat and I got to walk around Montmartre. Very cool. Um, great experience overall. Amazing restaurants. I think that's one of the yeah. things that you'll find there. There's just lots and lots of really very high quality, very inexpensive restaurants. Yeah. We went to several of them um, during our time over there. And one of our favorites actually was an Italian restaurant, very family-friendly restaurant called Corso. In fact, if you want to be able to see a uh, link to that restaurant, you can go to our go to our seven family-friendly restaurants in Paris that we have on our blog. And that'll give you a, that'll give you an address as well as some other family-friendly restaurants too for each area you might be in. There was also a really cool um, farmer's market in that area on, uh, I don't know Saturday. if it's both Saturday and Sunday, but we saw maybe just the remnants of it on the Sunday when we were there. Um, so that's another thing that, um, you know, to be aware of, to explore in that area. It was pretty cool. The kids enjoyed that. And actually the kids still talk about Corso. That was one of their favorite restaurants while we were there. Oh yeah. So definitely make time, get up there, check it out. One of our favorite experiences by far. Okay, that leads right into this next one. This was actually two of our children on the top of their list 
maybe all three, I can't quite remember, but absolutely for two of them on top of their list is one of their favorite experiences. And part of why we chose to go to Paris in the first place. Yeah. So when you think Paris, everybody thinks Eiffel Tower, right? That's one of the things that pops up. Okay, we wanted to see the Eiffel Tower. We went and we saw the Eiffel Tower. We climbed the 702 steps to the second floor. The view is amazing. Uh, it was a great experience. And the kids loved it. Couldn't wait to wait to see it again, this time at night. At night. Yeah. And it was everything that you could imagine. Uh, it still, I would say... But I mean, it definitely ended up even the kids wanted to go to see the Eiffel Tower. They came home wanting to see the Eiffel Tower. I mean, <laughs> like it was just it was that mesmerizing to our family. The interesting thing is, even before we went, we tried to look up some pictures of the Eiffel Tower at night because when the Eiffel Tower is in the dark, it actually lights up once every single hour. They they do this uh, every every single hour where it lights up and it's flashing, it's sparkling is mm-hmm. probably the easiest way to say it. But when you look at video, it doesn't look the same at all as seeing no. it in real life. It literally looks like it's like shimmering and sparkling and it does that for about a full 5 minutes. I think it was 10 actually. It might even be a full five, full 10 minutes. Yeah. So it does that for a short period of time every hour on the hour and then it's well, well worth seeing it. If you can get within about eight blocks of it, it's even that much better. Yeah. And you definitely, we didn't even actually end up walking all the way up to it. Um, that evening that we were over there, we had planned on being in the area when it lit up. Um, we had decided to go to dinner and we were actually making our way towards the Eiffel Tower when the hour hit and it's on the hour. It goes on the hour um, every hour. So if you're there, be prepared for that. Um, but actually we ended up getting a better view from a little farther back because you could actually take photos and videos of it. And you're not in these crowds of people because the Eiffel Tower gets pretty crowded no matter what time you're there. And so I actually think we got a little bit better of a view from being farther away from it. Okay. So here's the backstory for why we were further away from it, because <laughs> uh, what, what happened is we decided we were going to make a night out of this. So just like Alyssa mentioned, we went to dinner and we had a, a really enjoyable dinner, uh, amazing restaurant, and then it took forever to be able to pay. So the kids and Alyssa are flan- frantically running down the street to try and make it on time. I'm trying to pay and then catch up to them. And we end up being, you know, someplace around eight, 10 blocks away when it starts. And we ended up walking another three, four blocks as it was going and did learn probably the hard way that it actually is a little bit better further away. If you're right up next to it, totally different experience versus being back, being able to see the Eiffel Tower. Now there's several different points where you can go, where you have a clear shot, where you can actually see the entire thing. There's Mm -hmm. no buildings in front of it or anything else. So you want to get just close enough to where you don't have buildings blocking it, but far enough away where you can actually see the entire shimmering. Just, it is a really amazing experience. And I would encourage you to, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, make a night out of it. There are uh, markets along the way. There's lots of great restaurants that are opening up. There is quite a bit that you can do in that area. Yeah. And it does differ. And we were in the Rue Claire area, which yeah. um, is a famous uh, open street market there, but there's tons of restaurants and lots of other stuff going on down there. And so that's the area that we saw it from. I mean, there's a ton of different angles that you can see the Eiffel Tower from, but that's the area that we chose to 
watch it from. Okay. So we will put up some of the photos and videos and some links to where you can see it at on the site. But if you watch those videos, none of them are going to be able to replace actually being there. Go there, check it out, watch the sparkle, yeah, watch it, it later. Amazing. All right. So this next one, I think most people have heard of when they think of going to Paris or going to France, then this usually makes the list. Is that fair to say? I would think so. Yes. Okay. And we decided we were going to put it on our list too, but there were actually quite a few reasons why we included this as one of one of our best experiences. So what is that place? Versailles. Versailles. Okay. So there were a lot of reasons, but only a small portion of these reasons were the building itself. Which and was pretty amazing. It was pretty amazing. That's true. That's true. More on that in a second too. But even starting with the train ride, because we decided we were going to take a, take a train out there and, you know, we went and we stayed for a month and in Paris and we didn't, didn't have a car, didn't have necessarily other, other long, long distance transportation. So the train seemed like the logical way. And if you live in the States and if you're in a place where you own a car and you drive around on a regular basis, then the train can actually feel a lot like a luxury, especially if you get to see some of the countryside and you're riding along. And that was certainly the case here. The kids absolutely loved being able to choose one of the two decks on the train and pick out the seats. So the entire thing was a really great experience in that regard too. But it didn't just stop there. Once you get into the town, then you start having a completely different experience, right, Liz? Yeah, it was a great walk from the train station to the actual chateau. And you got to see a little bit of the city of Versailles. Uh, which prior to going to there, I I just imagined it being this huge chateau, um, but didn't think about the city around it. Um, and of course, we were there in the wintertime, so there wasn't a lot happening in the city, but we were told that there's a beautiful farmer's market that happens there on the weekends and um, that it's a, a pretty happening place for people to go for like weekend vacations. Yeah. So it could be really an entire... Yeah, entire weekend experience too. It doesn't just necessarily have to be a trip up to the chateau and then you're there and you go in and then back. But you know, as you as you walk through the town or village of Versailles, I don't know if they call it a village, but uh, it's a it's a decent sized full fledged town is yeah, what I would call it according to at least American standards, and. You begin to walk up to the chateau. On either side, as you approach, you have the old stables and eventually the places that house the carriages, the carriage houses. And now they're, you know, completely, completely different. They've been, you know, renovated and are just beautiful buildings at this point. But you start to approach the gates, and the first thing that you notice as you get towards the gates is what. They are golden. They are literally golden gates. Yes. So this was created way back when, so that when people approached Versailles, they understood the amount of opulence that not just Paris, but France had at the time, King Louis, who put all of this together. And it is <laughs> it is quite impressive, to say the least. But then when you get beyond the gates, the building itself too, you can see that it's had several different renovations. But we 
initially walked up to the building and I was in awe. I'll just speak for myself, but it was it was really very breathtaking with all of the gold, all of the all of the different pieces of it. You could see that it was added to over time. And we realized, okay, where are we even supposed to go for a tour, right? So yeah, there's the attention to detail. And if you have seen photos of the Golden Gates or the um, entrance area with the black and white tile checker pattern, there was so much to look at and see. So we had decided that um, with the inside of the chateau, we wanted to try and do a tour. Uh, There was only one tour available in English, and it was for the King's Apartments. And, you know, we had just talked about our tour at the Louvre being totally kid-friendly. This one, on the other hand, was not as kid-friendly, although we were the only children in the tour. So the tour guide did her best to try and make sure they were in the front and that she included them in what was going on. And actually... Um, one of them, I don't remember which one, actually got to touch a piece of furniture in there because there was a hidden compartment in a desk and she let them find it and open it. She did a really good job of trying to include them in the tour. However, it was really not geared towards children. Which, by the way, though, I will say that just traveling with kids in general, especially if you happen to have some of the only kids in the room or on the tour or on the experience or wherever you happen to be, it kind of open some doors like that. A lot of a lot of people are really willing to allow kids to participate and make exceptions for them and we found that again and again. But here too with the with the tour in Versailles, right? And I would say definitely definitely do the tour. I mean, it was is very very much a part of the experience. However, I don't think that that was the best part of Versailles. Oh no, not at all. It, it it was it was amazing. It was fun. It was well worth doing. But I thought that there was an even even better part, and uh, that for me was the grounds. The grounds were amazing, and it was designed that way. You know, when it was created it, several centuries ago, then it was intended to be able to be where you walk out the back of Versailles and you're looking at the grounds and there's just these beautiful terminating vistas for a lake that looks like it goes on and on and on. And it is just, it is amazing. It is a, (laughs) it is not only beautiful, but the entire set of grounds was designed with experience in mind, every single aspect of it. And keep in mind, we were there in the winter, so we didn't even actually see the fountains in action. There's a a musical fountain that shoots water with the timing of the music, and there's duck ponds everywhere, and there's statues and sculptures everywhere, and all of those were actually covered up because it was winter, and so that's how they keep them in top condition is they cover them for the winter, and of course, none of the flowers were blooming. But even with that... It was absolutely beautiful. The grounds were beautiful. Um, We spent probably a good two to three hours on the grounds, at least. And keep in mind, this is this is in (laughs) this is in bitter cold, right? So for us, the the kids were pretty cold, but it was that beautiful. It was that engaging that we wanted to be able to spend that time there and be able to walk around and be able to experience it. One really interesting thing, though, is that in the summer, 
they actually allow you to rent or ride bikes around the entire property or most of the property. And it's a very, very large property. And there's lots of different places to be able to to ride through. And it would highly encourage. That's one of the reasons why we will very likely go back just for the bikes alone. Yeah. And in the winter, if you're crazy like us and are trying to avoid crowds and want to go in the winter, there was a little trolley that took you around the grounds and um, to all the different, the other buildings that you could tour. We chose not to tour any of the other buildings. However, we did ride the trolley around the ground so that we could see a little bit more of it without having to walk because it was pretty cold out. There are also little cafes and shops and restaurants all over the grounds that you can stop at and eat, or we stopped and got hot cocoa and crepes because we were freezing. Um, but yeah, just the area itself, the whole area of Versailles is designed for an experience. Everyone always asks if you did Versailles, if you will, if uh, you went to Versailles, uh, if you go to any area of, of France, but especially if you're nearby Paris. And I think that you should, we would absolutely recommend it, but maybe not for some of the same reasons. Get there, take the extra time to enjoy the grounds and fully experience it. Not not just the building itself, although would highly recommend that. But once you take in that full experience, I think it'll become one of your favorites too. The last experience that we have on our our list was a little bit of a surprise to to us, but it was selected specifically specifically by our kids. Yes, right? this was the Kids Choice Award winner. From all of the, I think we mentioned earlier, we tried to find a lot of parks. We tried to find as many parks as we could. And this park um, stood above the rest and was the Kids' Choice Award. Yeah. So the whole entire area of this park is absolutely gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's absolutely worth exploring no matter what type of weather you have. And there's lots of fun statues. There's a beautiful pond area. And of course, lots of room to be able to move around, which our kids require, right? But what what our kids really loved was the playground that this park and area had. So what is this area? The Luxembourg Gardens. Yeah, Luxembourg Gardens. What many people have heard of, but few people have been there. It's a little bit out of the way from many of the other normal things that people want to see in Paris, but it's worth the little bit extra trek. So it, it a lot of the other a lot of the other parks, a lot of the other areas, you can get right on the on the metro and get right off immediately next to it almost. This wasn't the case for Luxembourg Gardens, but you can get close enough to where you can walk four or five blocks and be able to get into the gardens. And the kids loved this particular playground because it was just packed full of full of different things to do, more so than than any place else that we encountered. But it's also, there's a catch, it's pay to get in, right? Yeah, we had to pay to get into the playground, which for this particular playground seemed worth it. We actually saw other playgrounds in other, or other um, play structures in other parks that you also had to pay to use. Um, and we chose to not do that. Like at the Tuileries, there is a trampoline um, park, which has very small square trampolines. Little thing. tiny trampolines. <laughs> you pay, I don't remember how much it was. Like A lot of euros per minute five or euros something. Per minute I don't know. Or something to jump on it. It was a lot of, lot of, lot of euros for a very little time. Yeah. So we chose not to do that. However, the Luxembourg Garden Playground, we did choose to pay to get them into and they absolutely 
loved it. Now, again, keep in mind we're there in the winter. So there was not a lot of people there. There was probably, I don't know, 10 other kids playing on the playground. So I would imagine in the summertime and when there is no school that it can get pretty packed and maybe it wouldn't be quite as worthwhile to pay to get into. So if you're going to try and go to this, I would suggest you try and go at an off peak day or time of the day. The kids had a couple of favorites though. They, and there really was a lot of different things, but they had this awesome treehouse style fort. They had teeter-totter looking things. They weren't quite teeter-totters. I'm not entirely sure what they were, but that style, they had had a lot of different sections of the park. Yeah. I think there were probably just within the, the playground itself that you paid to get into. I think there were at least five different structures that the kids could climb up and on and slide down and around as well as other like the teeter-totters and other things to play on. And they had different different areas and different segments for different ages yes. as well. Yes. But the favorite, the hands down favorite for our kids because they like to go fast and they like to I don't know, be a little bit daring was the zip line. It it wasn't it wasn't you know when you think zip line if you zip lined on like the the tree canopy or something else like that in Jamaica or other places that's not the type of zip line we're talking about it was not anywhere near that big or that long but it was a, a little zip line and you could grab on and then zoom as fast as you possibly can towards the other side and it actually went around a corner too that was the the catch here and they absolutely loved it. So they did it again and again and over and over and over and were very sad when we finally drugged them off the zip line to be able to leave. Yes. And I see that Scott is leaving out how many times he did the zip line also. I may have <laughs> done it a time or two or cried a bit when I was dragged <laughs> off. Distinct possibility. Yeah. So we were told that in spring and summer, though, there's even more events in, in Luxembourg Gardens as well. At the park that um, are free and not paid for um, outside of the playground. On days that the younger children don't have school in Paris, there is a puppet theater there um, where you can go and watch puppet shows. And in one of the ponds, they do wooden boat races. Um, so you can go and participate or um, watch those also. So those are some different things that are available there in the spring and summer head out there. Definitely worth the trip. Again, it is a little bit of a trek from the metro to the to the actual gardens itself, but it made our top experience list just from the sheer number of things and places you could go. We have we still have pictures all over that park area and gardens area and it was just a ton of fun and stands out in our our memories to this day. Our kids still talk about talk about the zip line in that particular park. All right, so that rounds out our top seven experiences with our family in Paris. We had so much fun in Paris and hope that us being able to share a few of these experiences with you allows you to pick one or two of them that you would love to make experiences and memories of your own. And also got to tell you that since we had so much fun in Paris, we're actually doing this again next year, but with a different destination. So this time we're going to the, where are we going? The UK. We're heading to the UK. And particularly, we're going to go to London. We're going to go to the middle of England to a little village called Barlow. 
we're going to head to Ireland and we're going to head to Scotland. Okay, well, why are we going to why are we going to London in the first place? Uh, in London, we have a lot of customers from our other business happen to your career. And we also really wanted to take a trip to London this time around while we were in Paris. And we just, it didn't work out to fit it in. It was a little farther than um, what we wanted to spend a couple extra days doing. So we decided that this next year we're going to go back so that we can actually see London. Yeah. So really excited about that. And why are we going to Barlow? Well, (laughs) Barlow, England. Turns out our last name is Barlow. And all of the Barlows, as it did a little bit of research, are originally from there. And weird fun fact that uh, found out doing that research was that Barlow, the name Barlow comes from Berhla, which actually meant Barley Hill. So all of the Barlows came from this Barley Hill. So we're going to go see that, check it out, find out where where the name originates from. And we're also going to go to Ireland. I know you've been wanting to go to Ireland for a long time. Yeah, a long time. I have some family heritage in Ireland. Um, my grandparents' name, uh, last name is Shanahan. So um, that's a very common Irish name. And so I want to go see where my grandpa's family came from. Yeah. So we're going to do that. And we're going to hit up Scotland. How can we not hit up Scotland when we're over there, right? right? Might as well while we're over there. Exactly. So we hear it's beautiful. We got to go check it out for ourselves. So tune in to season two of the Family Passport Podcast in August 2018. Come on back. Make sure that you're subscribed so that it shows up in your feed. And we'll see you there for our UK tour. All right. Until then. Au revoir. Au revoir. Thanks so much for listening to the Family Passport Podcast. Head on over to familypassport.co, that's familypassport.co, to learn how to travel with your kids, get travel tips, and even the tools that we've used to take amazing family trips. We'll see you next time on FPP. FPP.